0: You are listening to KCRW Berlin. I'm Monika Müller-Kroll, the executive producer of our current affairs show, Studio Berlin. A note before we get started, the episode you'll hear today on Berlin's anti-discrimination law first aired on June 17th. The law, which passed in the beginning of June, is the first of its kind in Germany and allows victims to pursue legal remedies against state officials, including police. Thanks for listening.
1: Welcome to Studio Berlin, our weekly current affairs show here on KCRW Berlin. I'm your host, Sumi Somaskanda. Last week, we discussed racism and discrimination here in Germany from the perspective of those who face it on a daily basis. This week, we're talking about legislation that some say addresses those injustices. Berlin's new anti-discrimination law passed earlier this month. This law is aimed at preventing authorities from discriminating on a number of factors, from race to gender, disability, sexual orientation, age, and more. It is the first law of its kind. It's being published at the end of June and it goes into force after that. But it's not without controversy.
2: This whole law is a total blow to justice.
1: That was Burkhard Dreger, the parliamentary leader of the Christian Democrats, the CDU, in the Berlin parliament. So in this half hour, we'll take a closer look at the law. Our first guest on the phone is Armaran Naripur, lawyer and political advisor to Berlin's Justice Senator Dirk Berend, and uh, she worked on this legislation. Thanks for joining us. Hi there. Thanks for having me. I want to ask you about that soundbite we just heard from Burkhard Dreger, who is in the Berlin Parliament. He said this law is a blow to justice. What do you think of that?
3: That's a very uh, interesting uh, statement. And of course, I don't agree with that statement because this law is um, the first of its kind. And it's the first law uh, in Germany, the first law for the state of Berlin uh, that prohibits all state authorities, including police officers, um, that I guess uh, was also indirectly referring to, uh, from discriminating against people on the basis of different uh, ranges of characteristics uh, that you have already mentioned earlier. And it expands the range of characteristics of discrimination and the law. And it had been in the works for, um, let's say, almost a decade. It entitles victims to damages and compensation if they are discriminated against. So it's right for the first time it's possible to actually take action against discrimination on the part of state actors and to punish discriminatory behavior of the state in a simplified way. Because I guess we all know the state is supposed to not discriminate, but it clearly still does. So this law is a total blow to justice uh, is, in my opinion, wrong because it is basically just enforcing justice.
1: Germany did already have legislation on the federal level, so the General Act on Equal Treatment. Didn't that protect people from discrimination? So why is this extra law needed in Berlin?
3: You're right. The General Act on Equal Treatment uh, did protect people from discrimination since it came to force in uh, 2006. However, it's restricted particularly to cases of employment and private relations, uh, which means the law does not apply to the areas governed by public administration towards a person such as police, school, immigration office, universities, etc.
1: So can you take us through how this would work? So if someone says, for example, they've been discriminated against for their sexual orientation when they're going to register a new
3: business here in Berlin, what would the process be? What would this look like? Well, um, the person has the opportunity to first contact the office of the ombudsperson. Uh, That's an institution also enshrined in this new law. Clearly, he or she is also free to directly consult a lawyer. Um, However, if they decide to consult the ombudsperson first, this person can, or the office of the person, can help deciding whether a letter of complaint is the way to go, the letter of complaint to the public authority. And if that doesn't solve the issue, then they can decide together if bringing the matter before the court might solve the problem. And then if uh, the letter is decided uh, to go before the court, it's then possible for an NGO to represent the affected person. And uh, the Ombudsperson can help connecting the affected person with an NGO. And also regardless of the representation in uh, one specific case, uh, the law also offers the possibility of uh, class actions through an NGO. And then when the person um, decides to go before the law, then the law, uh, it states, first of all, this is also uh, important to know, uh, that there is no individual liability of the person working for the state, uh, for example, let's say policeman, policewoman, but it's rather a li- the liability of the public institution re- representing the state of Berlin. So, and then when you are in front of the court, um, the, it's the paragraph 7 in um, uh, the law that is stating an easing in the burden of proof. You mentioned burden of
1: proof, and I do want to hear from Burkhard Drega again from the Christian Democrats on what he said specifically about this really being a reversal of the burden of proof.
2: The reality is that uh, the law includes a reversal of the burden of proof onto the administration. So if a plaintiff, a petitioner is claiming that he has been discriminated, then the authority, for example, the police, has to prove the contrary. And uh, the petitioner has to present a fact for this. But uh, since everybody in Berlin is belonging to a minority, uh, because it's a very diversified city in the meantime, everybody can present these facts. Of course, anybody who claims to have been discriminated can go to court. This is uh, what a legal state has to to provide, a fair and independent justice and uh, everybody who can claim his discrimination can go to court but he has the burden of proof to prove that he has been discriminated and this is just fair because uh, otherwise you open the door for an abuse of this law
1: That was Burkhard Dregge, again, the Berlin parliamentarian who we spoke to earlier. And again, he's saying the burden of
3: proof is being reversed and put on police. What do you think of that? I'm stressing this point, uh, the easing of the burden of proof, because it's not like Um, Some uh, institutions or even lawmakers from Parliament suggest and criticize also uh, Mr. Um, uh, Dregger, whom we've just heard, um, it's not a general shift in the burden of proof onto the public authority. That's wrong. The law does not state that. Previously, Uh, the onus for anti-discrimination suits in Berlin was on the victims to prove they had been discriminated against before a lawsuit uh, could go forward. Now, according to this paragraph 7, if discrimination is considered predominantly likely, meaning uh, to more than 50% likely, the relevant public authority must then either accept or refute uh, the accusation against it. And we know especially people that have made these experiences, uh, let's say in a case of racial profiling, know how difficult it actually is to claim that a racist behavior has taken place by a police person. This is why this easing of burden of proof that we, by the way, also have in medical law is necessary to help actually bring a discrimination case forward. So it's not just
1: Burkhard Dreger uh, from the CDU, so the opposition in parliament that opposes this legislation. I want to ask you about something you just mentioned, which is possible uh, racial abuse at the hands of police or racial profiling. We spoke also uh, to a spokesperson for the Berlin Police Union, Benjamin Yendro, who says this law is like a vote of no confidence in police. And this is what he said about racial profiling.
4: Racial profiling is a big deal that could be politicized. I can tell you that German police do not employ racial profiling. But the question is, what exactly do we mean by racial profiling? Is it racial profiling when police officers search Africans in Görlitzer Park, where statistically 99% of drug dealers are Africans? instead of searching someone with lighter skin. We support studies that look into this. And I want to be clear that we are serious about ensuring Joan authorities act in a non-discriminatory fashion. We expect all police officers to take this seriously. And of course, yes, there are some police officers who do have racist attitudes and who break the law. We need to separate the wheat from the chaff. But I do not believe that we have a problem of systemic racism in the force. We are not worried about a study that looks into this, provided it is done right. The most important thing is that we let the state-level and national-level police evaluate their own practices. We do not always need external actors telling us what to do. It's obvious that in this day and age all people should be treated equally.
1: So Amaran, there are a lot of points to pick up on there that we heard from Benjamin Yendro, from the a spokesperson for the Berlin Police Union. One of the things that he was talking about there is that the, it's been reported in the German media Die Welt uh, that the Federal Interior and Justice Ministries are planning to do a study into racial profiling among the police. And he's saying they have a, a challenging job where they have to deal with people of all backgrounds every day, and there aren't any real statistics to show that there is a structural problem in police per se. Uh, So how does this legislation address that?
3: Well... Um, he is also stating that um, he is not scared of this uh, study that is taking place, and I would actually say uh, the majority of police persons shouldn 't be scared of this law either because this law is not trying to put the police under general suspicion. The public authority itself has the possibility to bring about their reasonable grounds if there are reasonable grounds um, in a specific case uh, addressing possible discrimination. So um, it's not right that the police is put under this general suspicion. And uh, the police really shouldn't be scared of this law if they're not, as he's saying, doing any racial profiling. So if they're actually doing their job, then this law is basically just supporting them and uh, they shouldn't be scared of it.
1: Benjamin Yendro also pointed out that the police have been fighting for body cams, that it would help them do their jobs and perhaps clear up some of these cases. And it's actually part of Berlin's government coalition agreement, but it hasn't happened yet. So why hasn't that been addressed, for example, as a way to fight possible discrimination?
3: Uh, that's very right. Um, and as far as I am informed, uh, the coalition fractions in the Berlin State Parliament, they are actually f- currently finalizing this draft um, of a, because they're reforming the police law for Berlin. And uh, as far as I am informed, the latest version of this draft of uh, a reformed police law for Berlin, uh, it, also, it also contains provisions for the usage of body camps by the police and also uh, for the usage of body camps for uh, the fire department in Berlin. So, um, It seems this uh, important tool in improving the transparency of police action, uh, it will be passed soon too, and uh, it definitely can then be used as a tool of proof. He is right, and it's an important tool that can be used. Nonetheless, uh, this law is also an important tool that can be used by people affected by uh, potential discrimination.
1: Very interesting discussion. Armara Naripur, lawyer and political advisor to Berlin's Justice Senator Dirk Behren. She worked on this legislation. Thank you so much for joining us. Of course. Thanks for having me. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll look at how Berlin's new law might be a model for the rest of the country. You're listening to KCRW Berlin on 104.1 FM.
0: Thanks for listening to Studio Berlin. A reminder that this discussion on Berlin's anti-discrimination law originally aired on June 17th. Studio Berlin will continue in a moment. I'm Todd Zwilich. We named 1A after the First Amendment. It's for everybody, especially the curious. And because things are rarely black and white, 1A brings you all the colors. Join me weekdays and keep listening to this NPR station throughout the day. Tune into
4: 1A, weekdays at 4 on 104.1 KCRW Berlin.
1: Welcome back to Studio Berlin on 104.1 FM. We're discussing Berlin's new anti discrimination law and if it's the right model for the rest of Germany. We have two more guests joining us on the phone now. We have Niklas Hofmann with us from the Federal Anti-Discrimination Agency, where he's a policy officer. That's an agency that is administratively part of the government, but works independently from it. Hello. And we have Joe Hutchinson with us. He's an American attorney who splits his time between New York and Berlin. And here in Berlin, he's one of the publishers of Daddy magazine. That's an online and print magazine. Hello. Hello. Great to have you both. Nikos, I want to start with you just on this legislation that we've been discussing that Berlin has now introduced, an anti-discrimination law. What is your take on this? Is this a good addition?
5: In our view, it's, it's definitely a good step because we feel that it, it closes or begins to close a gap in, in Germany equality legislation uh, or such state-level legislation has been a long standing recommendation of ours.
1: What gaps are you referring to?
5: Well, there, I think there. are two dimensions to that. So so one is that Germany has a pretty comprehensive ban on discrimination in place based on European anti-discrimination directives, but enforcement is too difficult. That's just a general um, observation. So we as an agency can only advise people who turn to us, give them legal advice, but we cannot investigate, properly investigate cases. And so people are very very much on their own when they want to enforce their rights. They have to take their cases individually to court. And the time limits for that are very short. They're only two months. So two months after an incident, you have to have made your complaint before a court, otherwise you you lose your your right for compensation, basically. The other big gap is that the federal legislation leaves out the whole state sector it only uh, looks at the, at at work life uh, at labor law and then at the whole field of civil law may, namely um, the um, exchange of goods and services and uh, state discrimination by the state is of course banned by the constitution by the basic law but there are no or not enough specific complaints mechanisms to address cases in a in a, in a proper way you have to take cases to the administrative court if you feel like that The government or the police uh, has discriminated against you. And the good thing about the Berlin law is that it addresses all these concerns.
1: Joe, I want to ask you about an experience that you've been sharing on social media. Uh, You're an African-American man, and you recently posted about an experience where you were profiled in in a park, in the Friedrich-Ludwig-Jahn-Sportpark that's in Prenzlauer Berg. Tell us what happened.
0: I was walking around. It was 5 p.m. I was by myself, so there wasn't any concern about social distancing violations or why are these people approaching me. I was approached by the security personnel of the park. Um, Their first question was how many security were at um, an entrance that I knew was closed. I explained none. The gate was closed. And then the next question out of their mouth was, so when I look at the security video, I won't see you breaking in. And this just shocked me because it was 5 p.m. The park was filled with people, um, generally just enjoying themselves. I had been in the park for under five minutes. I was actually looking for the exit. And so when I heard that, and the tone, and the way they, they were in a, like a kind of like a little cart, and they drove directly towards me. So it was very clear that they saw me, singled me out, approached me, accused me of breaking in, even though the park was open. So what I did was I'm in the habit of recording um, these instances happening to others. Um, I walk around with an Apple smartwatch. I informed them that I would start recording the interrogation, started recording. Um, And then for the next 10 minutes, I had to wait there while they went to review the tapes that proved I hadn't broken in because I had simply walked through the entrance like many other people. and then for 15 minutes after that i had a conversation with them kind of asking why they stopped me and um, their reason went from first saying well we believed you broke in to then actually i had on on the recording there was a security woman who said well when i saw you suspicious is a stupid word (laughs) that's what she said um and then she realized kind of that she was calling me suspicious so she said "No, no no it was your behavior that was suspicious and suspicious behavior for the security of this park um, involves simply walking around walking around the park looking at what was there for under five minutes while looking for the exit and so i kind of recorded all of this and then afterwards um, since i didn't have the video i just went back to the park and i shot um, one scene of the the gate they accused me of breaking in and then i shot another scene um, with myself in front of the entrance where you can see people going in and out Um, And I put this online uh, for a few reasons, one, um, in response to what happened in New York, Central Park, where a white woman accused a black man of threatening her. Um, This is the case of Amy and Christopher Cooper. Um, So in response to that, I wanted to join the conversation. And then for people here in Berlin, I wanted to show, you know, when these things happen to you, it is very important to at least get the audio, because even if you don't have the video, if you have the audio, there is at least proof that can help you later.
1: What's been the outcome of this for you, Joe, to follow up on this? Uh, What kind of response did you get, first of all, from the security who stopped you and from other people as well?
0: Right. So the security who stopped me, they were able to admit that I hadn't broken in (laughs) because they didn't have the proof of me breaking in. So they could admit that, but they could not and would not admit that they stopped me because I was black. They kept repeating, no, it has nothing to do with your skin color. I wanted to get their names um, so I could file a complaint. They would not give me the names. I filed a complaint. I think it's the Zenatsverwaltung. Uh, I had to wait a week for a response, an official response. The official response was they had done an investigation and concluded that I had not been discriminated against. Um, In my first complaint, I mentioned I have audio. They never asked to hear the audio. When I responded to their response, I said, I have audio and I've made this video. It is on YouTube. Here's the link. That was over two weeks ago and I haven't heard anything further. So unfortunately, my fear is that um, the city of Berlin does not take cases of everyday discrimination seriously. The response on social media has generally been very positive in recognizing that problem.
1: Nicholas, I want to bring you into this discussion because you're with the Federal Anti-Discrimination Agency, as we said. Are these types of examples of what Joe described, is this the type of discrimination that your agency uh, receives reports of, cases of? And is it fair what Joe said, that there are these daily examples of discrimination that are accepted?
5: Again, uh, the, uh, federal, uh, the General Equal Treatment Act, which is the federal legislation, does not cover um, discrimination by the state, so we don't receive um, the majority of our cases in that area. Nevertheless, even though we don't have a specific mandate to deal with such cases, we also, of course, do receive cases um, that relate to um, racial profiling, ethnic profiling. The only issue is, or the only problem is that we have very limited um, possibilities to act on those cases. What the majority of the cases that we receive are uh, cases in the in work life. So 36% of the complaints that we receive are anything ranging from uh, job advertisements that are discriminatory to incidents of racist bullying in the, in the workplace. We had... One uh, case, for example, that we described when we presented our report last week about a, a geriatric nurse that was uh, fired because um, people in the care facility where she worked uh, didn't want to be washed by a person with her skin color. So that really, um, cases like that are, are pretty pretty common in um, in our counseling work. And the other big group, the second big group, are twenty six percent of the cases are. Concerning the access to goods and services, so that's discrimination, everyday discrimination in the housing market, in retail, like like the drugstore, at uh, banking, but also very very typical uh, on a night out, clubbing at the at the club door, um, especially young men of what's in Germany called the migrant background, like the statistical migrant background, are being turned away at at disproportionate rates. So. All these kinds of uh, racist discrimination. Obviously, we don't only deal with um, racist discrimination. That's just—it's th- not just. It's a third of the cases that we get, but we have like 67% that are um, relating to the other grounds that are protected under the General Equal Treatment Act. So there's a lot of sexual harassment, for example. Uh, lack of accessibility. So all the other grounds—age, um, gender, disability, sexual orientation, religion, and belief—that are also protected, of course, also make up a fairly big amount of our of our complaints.
1: That's important to mention, of course, that we're talking about discrimination uh, across the board, not just based on uh, race and ethnicity, also, as you said, on gender and age. And your agency's yearly report uh, just came out showing that uh, the number of cases uh, in 2019, there were 1,176 times that people contacted your agency with a case. Uh, Why are these numbers rising in a significant way?
5: Uh, it's actually even more, it's, it's um, 3,580 uh, cases um, overall, um, and, and 1,176 of them are uh, concerning racist discrimination. So it's, uh, it's an even bigger number. It's even worse, it looks even worse if you look at the last five years at the, um, the development of these cases. So we had uh, cases going up since 2015 by 75% overall and cases of racist discrimination going up by over 100%. And that's still obviously not the full picture, but just what uh, what we receive is obviously just a fraction of what occurs, and by no means do we believe that there have been only 1,176 uh, 1, cases of discrimination in Germany. So we haven't begun to talk about something like, like hate crimes and, and and violent crimes. As to why, I don't think there's a clear answer to that, and and our... Educated guesses uh, may seem contradictory or maybe not, but um, one thing is that we, especially since the events of 2015, we definitely see more unabashed racism in public discourse, um, in, on social media, even in Parliament. Um, so there's less shame in, in, in behaving uh, in a racist way for some, uh, definitely. On the other hand, there's also probably more awareness and more willingness uh, to actually describe discrimination as such. And so I think both things in in uh, seen together might drive up the cases that we receive.
1: Joe, do you think that Berlin is approaching this discussion in the way, right way with this new anti-discrimination legislation?
0: Absolutely. A lot of what motivates me is making sure that people know their rights because, you know, Having laws means nothing if people don't know what their rights are under those laws. And um, it's even uh, more important that when you know your laws, you know your rights. You know how to enforce your rights under those laws. So I think the very fact that we're having this discussion um, is bringing it back into people's um, awareness of the rights they have. Because there was already protection for various forms of discrimination um, under the Constitution, under the Equal Treatment Act. But like bringing this into the discussion now, I think it really does close the hole. I think um, the new law is doing two very important things. One, it is closing that hole um, with respect to public agents. And two, it's also extending those protections. So I I just made a list. And I think, you know, there are five new characteristics that are protected under Berlin's law that weren't protected under the Equal Treatment Act. So for example, you know, language or chronic illness, gender identity, social status, and um, anti-Semitic acts. So I think this is uh, very much the step in the right direction. And if we look at how these laws develop over time, the German constitution from 1949 covered certain characteristics. It didn't go far enough. Um, Then we have the Equal Treatment Act from 2006 that covers more and now we're in two thousand twenty, and realizing that we need to go even further and make sure people are aware not only what their rights are, but how they can enforce them.
1: Nicholas, could it come to other states as well, other federal states? This type of legislation?
5: You know, uh, when when the Eco Treatment Act was passed in two thousand six, there were there was big. Opposition to that, and there were many fears of, about the dangers that that would pose for the economy and and so on. none of that has come to pass there hasn 't hasn 't been a wave of of lawsuits and, uh, and and certainly not the frivolous lawsuits that people imagined. Our guess would be that it would be, be pretty much the same with the with the berlin law and a lot of the, the very let 's say controversial discussion that 's happening now will calm down over over time, and people will will have a have a more a calmer look at what's actually in that legislation, why that may, may be uh, useful.
1: We'll have to leave it there. Thank you both, Niklas Hofmann from the Federal Anti-Discrimination Agency and attorney and journalist Joe Hutchinson.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to Studio Berlin on KCRW Berlin. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. I'm Sumi Somaskanda. We'll see you next week.
0: You've been listening to our discussion on Berlin's anti-discrimination law. This episode originally aired on June 17th. Thanks for listening to 104.1 FM KCRW Berlin.